There's just two minutes remaining in the first period of extra time as David Robertson launches a long throw into the box. Van der Aert going to touch. There's Nicholas. It's back to Mason. 2-1 to Aberdeen. Hockey start on the track. And the long throw did all the damage. <laughs> And welcome to the latest episode of the By the Minute AFC podcast. We've got a packed show for you this evening, lots to talk about. We've got a couple of special guests as well. But as always, first we're going to introduce the, one of the regulars for the podcast. I have Richard here with me. How are you doing, Richard? How are you feeling after Saturday? Uh, still trying to get a, get a handle on it. You know, usually after you lose the game, you can pinpoint like one or two things that went wrong. Saturday was one of those where nothing really went right, but we'll come to that in a minute. We also have, let's say we have two guests tonight, we have, um, well, semi-regular guest of the podcast, friend of the podcast, JJ Bullsback. How are you doing, JJ? Hello, I'm very tired, but other than that, really good. Great to have you back, JJ. And we, we also have, making a podcast debut tonight, we have a former Scotland manager. I'll pause there and say a former Scotland manager and football manager, however. But um, we will hear about this later in the show. We'll look at excited about to talk about this. It's going to be our feedback topic this week as well. We want to welcome Finlay Mayer to the podcast. How are you doing, Finlay? Hi, good evening. Doing, uh, I'm also tired, actually. <laughs> there must be something going around. Yeah, I think so. General so. malaise since Saturday. Yeah, well, let's, let's get right into that then. Um, Saturday afternoon, we were at home to Motherwell. I, I want to stop short of just saying what the fuck happened, Richard, um, but what the fuck happened? Yeah, uh, that's exactly what we've put on the kind of a fight line, isn't it? Uh, we, usually try and go de- we usually try and go into a bit of depth on, you know, uh, oh, first goal, left back responsible, right back, you know, but just nothing really clicked at all. And... Um, you know, after the first 15 minutes, which were quite open, uh, Ryan Christie was getting on the ball quite a bit for us going forward, but they had a couple of half-decent efforts on goal as well. It then went more into the kind of war of attrition that I really expected the game to be, because I wasn't expecting much of a spectacle based on what had happened in a league game at Fir Park last time. I thought we'd see much the same again. We'd try and nullify them and uh, hope to maybe sneak a goal. And in circumstances like that, I guess the first goal was uh, always pretty key. And the way we lost the first goal was was comic. It really was. It was a a free kick from 40 yards, just thrown in, hopefully, into the box. Three Motherwell players kind of in the vicinity jumping for it, not a single Aberdeen player jumping for it around them. Neat finish from Louis Moult. Obviously, he then showed his worth in the second half as well, but... You hope for a reaction then from the home uh, team, from the home crowd, from the home management. Nothing from any of those uh, factors. A really, really flat afternoon and um, a real disappointment. We've definitely not hit the heights this season, far from it. But um, we've picked up a, a really healthy return of points. Sadly, was just a reminder that we still have a long, long way to go to get this team gelled. It definitely was. I mean... JJ, the summer signings took a bit of a beating after the game, um, in particular Gary Mackay-Steven, um, who is, who's came in for some criticism already so far this season. He's not really impressed. Um, and after the game on Saturday, especially no, I, reading through the, t- the timeline after the game on here, um, reading through just Twitter in general, he seemed to be the one who really, really took, it, took the bulk of the criticism, wasn't he? Uh, well, it seems to have been, yeah. It's, he's, uh, this sounds very stupid, but he's a very, very good player, but I remember that, um, that McGinn used to get jip all the time from people who said they wouldn't do anything. Like These players have the quality that they can come up with something when you need it. Uh, what I thought, well, the, the worst player I thought on the pitch by far, and he got hooked at half-time, was Tanzi. He was all over the place. Um, positionally, I know he wasn't involved quite as much, but he, and all the all the highlights I've watched, because I, I live down south, so I wasn't able to go to the game, um, all the highlights I've seen, uh, Tanzi is out of position in almost every single Motherwell attack. He's pointing at places, trying to make people go where he thinks they should, but then he looks kind of wobbly and nervous. And then you see it even in the first goal. Uh, Constantine, gets, Constantine gets caught underneath it as well. And Connor's is somewhere in the middle, and Tanzi's just, you know, where he is. Well, it's his, his slack ball that uh, led to that throw-in 
where um, Constantine has to, well, doesn't have to, but he felt he, the need to handle the ball. Because um, it's his slight pass that just caught us all out of possession, really. Uh, Tamsi, uh, again. I think I really miss, really miss that kind of, uh, that as well. Obvious, the Ryan Jack player, not someone you can just you know control the ball. It's someone who sits in and passes sideways. Mm. That's the important bit. Um, and also, clearly, Graham Shinney uh, was a big, big, big miss. Well, absolutely. Just to follow on that on the midfield front, uh, JJ. I think when you've got O'Connor there, who I think we've praised before this season for his destructive performances, i.e., being able to man mark the likes of Stephen McLean or likes of Louis Moult at Far Park last time. He's not really got what it takes in a constructive way. And what seems to happen then is you have Kenny McLean, who should be slightly further up the pitch. He's then sitting deeper and deeper to try and provide a more obvious outball to Anthony O'Connor. And again, it, it blunts us further up the park because we don't have the guy with the calmness and the assurance in that shield position to, to really start to build the attacks. I kind of on Saturday night in particular I didn't I wanted to stay away from any kind of scapegoating particularly on the feed because I think that's a really bad time to to try and get your thoughts out but I I, I just really feel in terms of the makeup of the team that O'Connor is such a downgrade from what we had before and yeah we were lots of people weren't fans of Ryan Jack we could we felt we could see what he brought to the team and felt was a really good fit for the other players in that midfield in particular. And I, I just think that O'Connor is limited at centre-half and he's really limited in that uh, defensive midfield role. And I, I think it's a huge oversight if we talked maybe in the early weeks of the season about our centre-half position not being strengthened particularly well. We didn't look to strengthen the defensive midfield position really at all until the last minutes of the transfer window when Dominic Ball came in. Dominic Ball has played maybe 90 minutes since then and looked as out of his depth as anybody else, to be fair, in that position. So so that's it's the kind of fulcrum of the team as well. A lot of the, uh, the unseen work, a lot of the uh, quiet, unassuming work gets done in that role. But if it's not being done well, the rest of the parts of the team can fall apart. Absolutely, yeah. One bit will, will have an effect on the other, like dominoes. Um, as well, I've not seen the game. What shape were we actually playing from the start? I know it changed with three at the back quite early on, but there's no width that I can see from any team lineup or width or uh, highlight thing. Well, it's definitely changed this season uh, from the first few weeks of the season. It's now, whereas last season it was always a four-two-three-one, uh, really. This well, is sure, not... I mean specifically the Motherwell game. Well, against Motherwell, there were a number the of changes, a lot of changes. Um, Certainly, obviously, we started four at the back. We only went three at the back after half-time, I think, after Tanzi was taken off. And then we immediately yep. lost the second goal, and I think changed back quite quickly after that. Um, but the first 15 minutes, we had McKenna and Arneson in the centre, Considine out wide, Logan out wide right. Considine moved inside, and um, McKenna went to left-back for the remainder of the first half. It, you can't say it... it it wasn't working because we weren't creating anything, but it wasn't harming us in that we certainly prevented the multiple shots at goal, which had been quite a frequent occurrence in that first 15 minutes. So there was very little in the game after those changes. But, yeah, width has been a problem all season. And, um, you know, you're looking at the guys like Mackay Stephen, and you're looking at the guys like Scott Wright as well. You know, yes, you want to encourage your youngsters, of course you do, but... Ultimately, they have to be performing in order to, you know, be considered for a place round here. You can't give them just because they are young the minutes that they need. Of course, yeah. We lost two absolute top-rate SPFL players in the summer, and now I'm again in Johnny Hayes. And we brought in replacements which, on paper, look good, but I think we underestimated just what a loss those two in tandem we'd actually be. And partly we've underestimated it because we did have a solid start to the season in terms of picking up points. But, yeah, it looks like we might, of course, get one of them back. And we'll maybe go on to discuss that later. But um, the transition, it's, yeah, it, it's taken a lot longer than we, we'd hoped for, definitely. Well, do you know, it's only it's off the back of two, well, bad result, and then the, the two all wasn't great either. But this is only two. I mean, we're still seconds. Was it five points behind? It's not. 
Is it five? Six right, behind Celtic, yeah. It's not six <laughs> behind, yeah. It's, um, it's not that bad. Like, <laughs> oh, no, it's not. Still, you'll have to play. It's, just, it's out of balance just now. I mean, the defence at the back, Arneson's, you know, getting on and slow. McKenna is young and slower than time itself. It's not, <laughs> there's no pace in that team anywhere. Like, on the wings, there's nothing there. There's no width. Stephen May's on the bench. I, I trust that McInnes knows what he's doing. He must need to rotate the squad, maybe. I, I mean, I don't think it's Gary McKay Stevens' fault that we got humped. You know, I think that's a balance yeah. thing. That tends to be from midfield. At the times I've seen us when we've been poor, it has been because players are putting balls into channels or bypassing the midfield. And that is because no one is there to keep it and pass it sideways and just retain the ball. It's mm-hmm. classic kind of junior-level Scottish football where you just... Get it forward, and people think that the best way to win something is to attack. I mind when Man City won that title, and you know Aguero scored there. Aguero, can I go? They took the young <laughs> one later on, and it was him that came in and sat deep, and that was where they had the the shape that they could balance to get these balls forward. But it's a yeah, you don't always have to put strikers on. But Tanzi, I don't know what's happened to Tanzi. That's my point. I think. Yeah, no, again, it's a really worthwhile point, and I think on. Saturday night again across Aberdeen Twitter there was just this air of entitlement as well that how dare we get beat by Motherwell we got beat by Motherwell because oh. Motherwell are an effective team who play very much to their strengths and because we're not going to win every single game we've been incredibly successful at beating the rest of the SPFL over the past couple of seasons and that's to our great credit but yeah, there are going to be games where we just get completely outwitted, outthought, outfought by the opposition. Sometimes you have to give them credit. I wouldn't like to watch them every week, but they're very effective. Yeah. I think it, I think probably a lot of the, the overreaction, and it does hurt more because it's twice this season it's happened now. Um, and both both in very very much the same way, whereas you know, there was a guy who was a star of the show on Saturday again, um, who we'll, I suppose we'll have to talk about is Louis Moult. Um, you know, we don't we don't really know the truth as to how close we came to sign him if there re- if if there ever really was if we were remotely close at all. Um, but once again, it seems to be that they've they've they set up a way where they play to his strengths, and he's he's obviously a very good player. There's talk of him going to other other clubs as well in January. Um, but Molt certainly um, Finlay was was. The main difference between the two teams. I mean, Aberdeen didn't turn up. There's no getting away from that. But Molt really did. He, he, he's been he's been carrying that Motherwell team at times. Yeah, well, he's shown his quality throughout this season. I think it's hard to see where Motherwell would be without him. I think uh, it is a team very much based around Louis Molt. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they're like once he's gone. And uh, you know, it would be nice to have actually sign them. But I mean, he's not a defender, is he? So he's not he's not going to be defending those chances against us uh, he just wouldn't have been there to take them uh, but I don't know, I think it just would have been nice to have him I think, I think we'd all, we're all thinking that at, at this moment in time uh, but he's certainly not um, as, um, as we've been saying the, uh, the, de- the defensive midfielder that we're, we're crying out for um, but yeah I don't know <laughs> That part of the defensive midfielder thing, you've got Rooney playing up front, Rooney mm. a poacher, who needs either someone right behind him to feed the ball through, especially that, or players out wide pin crosses in. There's no that that lineup, there's no width to get crosses in. Wright came on far too late, he had ten minutes with Rooney before I mean come on you know, come up for Stewart. Um that's gonna affect Rooney scoring goals. Then you've got a player who's essentially kind of a passenger who can't really do too much for you. So then if you've got if you don't have width but crosses and you need someone who can then either work the channels and Rooney works hard but he's not got the pace, he's not mobile enough. He's someone who's a bit bit faster. So then why isn't Stevie May then playing in that game? I think like McKenna said or Doherty said, uh, that the Motherwell came with a system that they weren't expecting and so they had to change and, but uh, what it used to be was that Aberdeen played in the counter-attack, and that's when we were really potent because we had Hayes and McGinn out wide, and then we could get the ball out to them, go very quickly, Rooney scored a 1,000 goals. But now it seems that we're set up to have more possession because we tend to have a bit more now, so we pass it around, but we're missing the players in the field to do that. So Motherwell came at us, which we didn't expect. We're not built to sit and play in the counter-attack because we've got players in the, the park who are meant to pass the ball around. So it doesn't... <laughs> it, it's not completely caught out is one other bad part of it, I guess. Yeah, there is a. And, uh, 
So the game earlier in the season we had um, Stevie May in for Gary McKay Stephen just after we'd lost that that three nil game, which uh, I think we looked a, a lot better in that that one uh, nil win, and uh, I'm surprised that he took uh, McKay Stephen back into the side uh, when when Stevie May was was clearly quite effective in that game. I mean, okay, it was only one nil; it was horrible to watch, but it was uh, <laughs> really horrible to watch. But it was still. Um, was still an effective performance, I thought, and I mean, taking just Shinny out of the team shouldn't have this big, such a big effect on the team, but clearly it has. I think right now we're really, really relying on Ryan Christie in an attacking sense, and if he's not on his game, and he's been absolutely off his game the last couple of weeks for the Dons, um, then we struggle. It's it, it's more or less been as simple as that. And I think we're seeing as well why Ryan possibly won't have a long-term future at Celtic because, you know, when his little flicks and tricks and, and delicate through balls aren't coming off, he, he needs to try and find a way to contribute in a more, uh, in a simpler manner. Uh, maybe just, you know, try and cut out the fancy stuff, try and cut out the, uh, the element of surprise which very often can lead to a goal, granted, but... When he's not on it, we talked about Rooney being a passenger, well, Christie is absolutely a passenger as well. And, it, you know, because a lot of our other attacking signings haven't hit the ground running, or indeed haven't had, haven't really been given a run of games in the team, and I'm looking at guys like Greg Stewart, who I thought was maybe our best performer at Hamilton, was then dropped to the bench on Saturday. It's, yeah... We're still searching for the right combination. That's the, one of the more obvious statements I'll make tonight. But what I would say for all the praise that Ryan Christie has rightly been given, it's up to him now to make that step up. Last season he was a, a kind of a, a brilliant addendum to a, a ready functioning team that had now again and Johnny Hayes in it. This year he needs to step up to be a leader in this team. And he's done it on occasions in games. He needs to do it on a more regular basis if he's going to have the top-level career that he hopes has got mapped out for him. Well, do you know what? See, that's probably correct. He needs to he'll add, he'll add, he'll add, add more to his game because he's young. But I don't think it's that he's off his game so much. Like The thing that makes him so special is, that, like you said, he can pull that thing out of the air that produces a goal. When you do that and it doesn't go go right, which will happen when you're not, you know, elite level and you're a developing player like Christie still is, you need to have support behind you to make sure that you can try those things out. That's why Ozil is absolutely horse at Arsenal half the time when they don't have that shape behind him to protect it. Now you've got Christie there, and so if your if your holding midfield player is Anthony O'Connor, who is basically just oh, I don't know, it's like the thing you find in the bottom shelf in Argos, then you can just sort of put him in there and he'll do a job, but you know we need to do it something better, but it's doing it for now. And then you've got Tansy all over the place. With Shinny there, you've got a bit of action going on in the midfield, so you know he's going to win the ball back for you and drive people forward. And you need two more next to them to keep that neat and tidy to get the best out of Christie. If you don't have that support behind him, then you're not, again, you've got Christie can't play at his full potential, which means that Rooney can't play at his, and everyone, it's just, it's just out of balance. I don't think it's... I think it's very hard for Kinnis to replace the players he had, nigh on impossible... Uh, he's done an okay job. Maybe he'll get things he can do in January. Maybe the young players coming through that he seems to wait. But um, yeah, I, I don't think there's a need to have a go at Christie or anything. That if he's not playing well, I think that's probably just a deeper lying issue within other parts of the team. Well, of course, other people got to step up. But as on a 20-year-old kid, which is here on loan from Celtic, of course, the senior players in the team and our permanent players have to also step up. And I do think, as I spoke before, about the whole attacking ethos of the team being blunted because basically another of your creative midfielders is having to step back a little bit further to help out Anthony O'Connor as well because you're seeing that more. And yeah. maybe it's tactical. Maybe it's uh, McInnes feels that that's the best position for Kenny McLean. I, I can't see it myself, but maybe that's what he's being told to do. But that would basically be two, two of that midfield sitting, which is completely unacceptable for a home game against the likes of Motherwell. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I talk about that air of entitlement earlier. Thought. Then I use the phrase the "likes of Motherwell." So you know, <clears throat> we not, should we not have um, like we shouldn't belittle the likes of Motherwell? They, I mean, that's exactly really what, my point. You know, it is twice this season. You know, um, need need a couple of deep lying players, perhaps just to sort of deal with their attacks. Um, 
But I don't know. I think maybe we could just got it wrong from start to finish, and perhaps um, it's, it's that old thing we had with St Johnston is it's, it's uh, come back in the form of Motherwell. So it might just be Northern Irish managers that. <laughs> yeah, they might have a read of this. That's the problem. Maybe it's psychological in their head. They just think something's weird's going to happen. There could be any number of reasons. Yeah. But once again, because I know, I know, I know the buggers will be listening. Once again, all credit to Motherwell. They completely deserve three points yet again, and uh, I'm sure we'd all hope wish them well next Sunday. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. I can, I can only force that. Now, of course, we're going to have to talk about. There's been further speculation on the future of our manager. Um, now, I, we're not going to get into the the ins and outs about a certain club in Glasgow who can, who probably can't afford him and all the kind of unsettlement that's going in the media. Um, I'm more concerned about what's happening within the club with this. Um, Richard, um, tell me I'm being naive in that that Derek will have clearly told the players what what his plans are and it won't be unsettling the players. I don't know if he will, because I don't know if he knows. I don't know if he knows what, what he will say if he were to be approached and we believe that, well, that... Per the press conference at the end of last week, there has been no approach. I don't know what he would say. I would like to think that he'd uh, he'd take a look at this situation there and run a million miles, but who knows? And it's kind of what we spoke about last week with Michael Grant. Who knows the kind of emotional pull of that job? And you know there are obviously benefits compared to working Tavardine in terms of the wage structure and so on, and the backing that he might get, even if it is of magic beans, but. It's. I think what it clearly had on Saturday is an effect on the support, who were much more willing to turn on the players than they might otherwise have been, and maybe turn on the manager as well. It was um, it, not a nasty atmosphere by any sense of the imagination, but I, I definitely sense a frustration there with a manager who could have come out and killed the speculation absolutely stone dead at any point. But obviously, as is his style, as is his want, as has always been the case when things like this have come up, he's deadpanned it, he's, he's you know, flat-batted the ball, uh, the ball back, and he's refused to discuss it in any detail whatsoever. So I think more than an effect on the players, through what he may or may not have said, yeah, I think it definitely had an effect on the support, which perhaps then transmits, obviously, to the players as well. Because... Um, and partly it's because of the way things were going on the pitch, but we were very, very quick as a support to get on the back of players. There was out-and-out out fury at corners not getting past the first man and, and stuff like that. And It's understandable. It is understandable. But I just wonder in a, a situation without that going on in the background where it, it maybe wouldn't have happened quite so quickly. I mean, you, see, you mentioned there, Richard, um, the effect on the players that has... Um... Yeah, with effect on the support, sorry. Um, I, re- I rewatched the sort of the extended highlights on Red TV. Um, I don't know, JJ and Finlay, if you did watch them as well. I mean, at half time, um, that's one of the few times under McInnes's reign that there was the really, the, the team were pretty much, the, the, the whole stadium unanimously booed the team off. Um, that's, that's not something that's going to be good for morale within the club, is it, JJ? Uh, I think it's jumping to conclusions, maybe. I think those players there know that McInnes knows his stuff. He knows his salt. Um, I don't know why I said that. But he knows his salt. And uh, I don't think speculation linking him to any other place. I mean, he'll he link to all he wants. These players are paid to play the game. They want to win the game. They're pushing for set, you know, seconds, still technically first as well. I don't, I don't think that they would be... Like, oh, he's going, oh, it's gone, oh, the old team, oh, and give up and then throw in the towel. <laughs> There's no way that's happening. I think they just got, they got caught out from Motherwell, who read them far better, uh, had, were better set up. They maybe just weren't all at it, they missed the buzz of Shinny, maybe they just let, you know, it's a bit of complacency, something like that. I don't think McInnes would have done anything differently. I think it's interesting that he didn't do the post-match um, a chat. I wonder if that's because he was just too wound up with his players shouting at them to go and he knew he would say something he'd regret about some of the players who went out to the press. Um, and then get asked about Rangers again. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, that, that West Brom link, right? So who knows if that's true or not. The, the consortium or the people that are in charge of West Brom, um, I think, are unlikely to want to go for a, relative, a relatively untested man like McInnes at this point when there's so much 
money for grabs at West Brom, especially when Sam Allardyce is available and there's you know managers like that that we could get. And I suspect that there are fairly. I mean, I'm sure betting companies are all very nice, but what a way to like link. Oh, he used to play for West Brom. This would be quite a nice link. People will go and put some money on that. It, it, I, I don't get it. I don't buy it. Yeah, I mean, I was going to. I mean, you know. You you probably watch or or watch a lot more English football than than I do anyway, JJ. So I mean, I was going to bring up the West Brom vacancy. I mean, he's quite clearly held in some regard down there. But the West Brom, they've done the they've done the they've went down the foreigner route and it didn't work for them. Um, you know, Tony Pulis is Tony Pulis. I mean, you know, they're not going to take a risk on somebody like. Derek McInnes are are they? It's you know it's it's basically it's Sam Allardyce. I don't think I don't think there's any chance it's a gore that McInnes is going to go there. I think these clubs like see, now there's so much money involved that they don't have to aim for Gary Megson or um, <laughs> that kind of player. They, they don't. They don't have to go for these guys anymore. Gary Megson is right, a temporary charge any, there, by the way. Any manager, they, they can pay any wages they want, and that team is. I mean, it's it's a bunch of people who fit to make a unit, and Pulis. Hasn't done exceptionally well with them recently, but the, the weird thing is, right, if it wasn't him in charge of them and they were there just now, Pulis is probably the manager they'd, <laughs> they'd want to get in to try and turn it around. <laughs> well, that's why they're going after Allardyce, isn't it? See, exactly. Well, yeah, it makes sense. I on McInnes, right? So I um, absolutely believe McInnes would do a good job because I think he has uh, vision. I think he has um, football philosophies that he'd like to apply and he knows how to do it. It might take him time. He's well respected by the fans. But I don't bet, like, I bet most of those players there, apart from the Scottish ones, have never heard of Derek McInnes. They wouldn't have a clue who he is. So they're not going to be like, oh, yeah, let's get that guy in. Mm-hmm. I, it's going to be someone, um, look at Marco Silva, right? So he comes in, someone, you can get a manager in now who has won leads. Sure, it's the, you know, the Greek league, it's not particularly hard to win if you're in charge of Olympiakos, but there are managers out there with um, CVs who have won far more than Derek McInnes has and have been in charge of far more valuable assets that I would imagine are are higher up in that list. So I wouldn't be too worried, Don's fans. As you say, valuable assets as well. Let's not forget for West Brom that the the sixth best manager in the Qatar Super League is also avail- was also available. So they may bring in they may bring in Kashina yeah, instead. No, no, he was fourth. Uh, Come on, let's not Was it fourth? He was fourth. I apologise for their selling. If Pedro, if you're listening, he was the sixth best manager. Yeah, Pedro, if you're listening, I apologise. Really sorry. He's definitely listening. <laughs> I really hope he is. I think on the mechanics <laughs> of the West Brom front, it's, I think everything that JJ says is pretty much right. There are uh, There's so much money floating about there that uh, they're either going to go ultra safe and going to go Allardyce or they're going to go the Watford uh, route of just picking up somebody like Kiki Flores or somebody like that. However, I mean, a very quick scan of the forum suggests that, yeah, McInnes would be a slightly romantic choice, but he'd be a unifying choice. And I think what's happened at West Brom recently is there's been a bit of a disconnect and that, you know, they've struggled to fill their ground, which is kind of unthinkable in the super sorry English Premier League. So, so it's, it's a choice that would go down relatively well, I think, with a section of their fan base, but I don't realistically see it happening. Uh, it's the one I've kind of always worried about, but I thought it would probably happen maybe after a relegation. It, it's plausible. If, you, if we use the kind of old Mythbusters uh, language here, it's plausible, uh, but not yet uh, denied. Denied? They don't say denied. Yeah, it'd be, yeah, be on it to worry if they do go down and then uh, can't really attract these big Premier League names uh, like Allardyce and that. Uh, that that is the worry but for the time being probably not no but uh, won't stop the likes of Sultan Giria and Danny Dicchio speaking in daily records you know always linking in with West Brom um, but yeah it's going to be a, a tough one tough one and uh, do you know what if they went if they, if they went down and in the championship I bet he wouldn't take it because it's only attractive job if it's in the Premier League because first of all I guess the money and the prestige of managing in the Premier League I mean, McInnes is an ambitious man, and uh, having that chance to prove himself would be something that I don't think he could turn down, and I, I wouldn't resent him if he went to West Brom. However, he went to the Championship, it's just a different league. The standard of football, I don't, I don't think, is very good at all, no. and uh, you're very, very like, fortunate. You have to get the rub of the bounce, like, oh, rub of the bounce? That's not even a saying. You know what I mean? You have to get lucky so many times. It's a lot about like winning second balls, third balls, all over the place. It's very kind of punt football. Some people who watch the championship will say, no, it's not, it's really good. But, I mean, most of the stuff I've seen is kind of like that. And then, and then he'll be a job next year. So. He'd fancy his chances, wouldn't he, to, to, to go up. 
I think he'd, ha- he'd back himself. I mean, this, he, this is all hypothetical, isn't it? So, not, <laughs> yeah. not, but he would back himself, I think, if, if that dropping came up. I think Sunderland was just such a big head case that you've got to stay away from that. Uh, which is, uh, apart from Chris Coleman, he'll, he'll go for it. Despite having a very secure job uh, for life. But, yeah. Uh, but what were we talking about before? Um, the, the effect on the players and the effect on the sport, I think. Yeah, it's more more the effect on the sport, isn't it? We're getting on their back a little bit. Uh, just a little bit more easily, aren't we? Yeah, I, I mean, um, I don't want to turn this into a kind of fan-blaming thing. It, it, the fans were... Entirely no. entitled to to uh, get their heckles up on Saturday, it was bordering on inept. But it, I think it wasn't exactly helpful in the situation when people were going absolutely rad with still forty five minutes of the game to go in a game which really had very very little in it. Yeah, I love that saying. <laughs> rad is great. Yeah, you would hear that so well weekly. <laughs> Um, I don't know if it affects the fans. Like for me, I mean, because not being in the city and amongst it all the time, it is a little bit of a disconnect. So it's very hard to understand that. I, I can see it quite objectively, but I guess that is also what I do is my job every single day, um, as in football. So I don't know if it, maybe it's just that Aberdeen fans want to have the settled club. We want we want to have things settled and know that we've got a future. Problem is, it's also annoying. All these things build up, build up like hidden stresses. Like we're never going to be able to overcome the Celtic team under Brendan Rodgers. So what even really is the point? And then you've got McInnes there; he's really good. But how long will he stay? Will he get bored? Because some people seem to be already bored of this Aberdeen team that I don't already think is kind of overachieving. Um, I don't know what people want. Yeah, I wouldn't say we're overachieving, but I do think that um, yeah, there's an element of certain. A certain percentage of our support would be quite happy for change for change's sake, which, which I do think is dangerous. Uh, so, as we said last week, I'm certainly not welcoming any change in the managerial position, but it needn't necessarily be the end of the world. Uh, what my fear is, is that I really don't trust the current board to select a competent uh, successor. Well, we'll move on, we'll move on from that then, because you never know... Um... We have a man on the podcast tonight who has some manage- managerial experience. Um, who could possibly, could, you know, if McInnes was to go, Finlay, um, you could possibly throw your hat in the ring there. You, of course, were the Scotland manager for the recent football manager, Copa Manageria. Was that, is that how it was pronounced? Yep. Um, is, it, is that the one? <laughs> Foreign languages weren't my thing at school. Um, yes, yeah, so you were, you were the Scotland manager. What, what pardon? <laughs> what was? Not much, not much, Richard. Not much. Um, so you, yeah, you were the Scotland manager for the the championship manager, football manager, World Cup. Um, give us the give us the background on this. Still, so how did this come about for you? Oh, it was a bit, weird, bit of a weird one. They, like uh, the SFA basically threw up on on their Facebook uh, last month, start of this month maybe. Yeah, it was the start of this month, and they were just looking for folk who were. Uh, particularly boastful about their uh, football management career, and it was a it was a quiet day at work. So I was able to to just say, oh, I'd done all this. I'd managed to win countless league titles with Aberdeen, won the Champions League, won the Club World Cup, uh, won the World Cup with Scotland, um, and even managed to get a stadium. Which you know, I mean, that that's an achievement in itself. Um, and and like, I've been playing it so long. I've got I've got a son. And he speaks four different languages. He's, he's, he's terrible at football, but because of you know my um, nepotism, he's, he's playing a lot alongside uh, ten very good players. Um, he's, he's sixteen, and uh, you know he does not deserve the amount of starts that he's getting. But yeah, basically they were just, they were just looking for someone to represent them, and thought that my story was particularly interesting. And uh, yeah, lo and behold, Sports Interactive got in touch with me and. Decided to send me down the next week, so it was quite uh, all quite last minute, but very exciting. And uh, so, what was the, what was the experience of the tournament? Was it how did you know how did you get on? Was it sort of, was it very serious? I mean, we hear these stories about you know football manager, but people who take it mega serious, turn up in suits and all this kind of stuff. Was it that, or was it just a bit of a laugh? Well, I mean, I was sort of treating it as a bit of a laugh on the, on the outside, but of course it was very serious deep down. Um, <laughs> like they they paid for our flights um, and so like took took folk from across Europe into London, put us up in a hotel, 
uh, paid for our food and all our drinks, so you know, good good for them. But so they were taking it very seriously. Uh, the French guys they had their own uh, like sort of vlogging team behind them. They were like broadcasting the whole the whole thing uh, in French. So like all his matches were in French commentary. Um, but we we knocked him out thankfully. Uh, so that that's up there on the internet somewhere. Uh, the Dutch guy is, like runs his own blog on tactics and that sort of thing. So yeah, there, there was it was a mix of folk who sort of casually played the game. I think that's more the the British folk that were in it and uh, folk from across Europe that are like quite heavily involved in the the general um, I don't know the, the fandom is that the right word behind. Football Manager and the, the Championship Manager series before it as well. Yeah. Did uh, I? I just thought, you no. Know, in the way that you no, know, the, the game is really, really addictive. As um, you know, we've all, we've all we've all definitely been been, been lost many, many hours to it. Um, some of the foreign guys, for example, um, just like I said, maybe a daft question, but like in the way that you know. We'll rave about some guy who we've signed on Football Manager from like the Italian Serie B or something. Um, were any of the foreign guys like, oh, I signed Martin Hardy or something like that, and or did they did they give you like, oh, I signed this guy from the Scottish League? Do you know him or anything like that? I think a few of them were ta- talking about Keith Tierney to me quite a lot, so I guess he's uh, probably overrated on the last game, but you know, rated about right on the the current one. And uh, I think a few of the older guys, I think there was a, a, a couple that were over 30, may have come up to me and talked to me about Mark Kerr. But, I mean, um, <laughs> of course. Yeah, well, the, the Aberdeen legend, Mark Kerr, of course, uh, former captain and, yeah, linchpin of that, that midfield. Um, no, but I can't, I can't think of too many Scottish players that have been that good <laughs> the last few years. <laughs> Uh, Oliver Burke last year was probably a bit overrated because um, of that that mega box move to to Leipzig. So um, yeah, but apart from that, I can't I can't think of too many. I don't yeah. do, do it this way. There was no folk like saying, "Oh, Darren Mackey, <laughs> he was amazing." Uh, there was no, nothing like that for like we might hold him in, in such high regard because such regard had like pace twenty on CM two or something like that. Yeah. And so, why you know, for yourself? Why is the ge- why would you say the game is so addictive? I can't really put a finger on it. I think it start. I started playing it because my brother played it, and you've had him on the podcast a few times. I think uh, Gavin Mayer. And so we just started. It was just something to do, and something to to be better at him than. Uh, and we generally just do Hibs Hearts because uh, they're similar teams, and I don't know. It's it's just. Can can goad each other a bit easier and uh, <laughs> take Celtic on. And it'd be be nice if Aberdeen had you know some sort of rivalry. Uh, but for me, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just like the satisfaction of having Aberdeen actually win trophies, be <laughs> uh, <laughs> in control of it, um, and you know Scotland getting out of a group or qualifying for a tournament. So it's like um, I don't know. It's it's, uh, it's what, why we all like football, isn't it? A, a sort of escapism from from day to day life, um, I, I guess. And then you can have that that sort of uh, uh, you know that feeling daily just by winning a few games at Football Manager, saying, "Yeah, I know better than insert manager here." I mean, we do know better than Mark McGee, but probably not Derek McInnes. But yeah, I played it a lot during the McGee era for sure. <laughs> for sure, I think that I'm was... sure. I think I think we all did to try and cheer ourselves up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of the actual tournament, I got to the, the semis out of out of Europe. Um, managed to knock out France, Italy, and Greece. Um, Drew of England as well and got further to England, so that's that's always a plus, isn't it? Uh, I think Norway. Norway won in the end. Which is a bit fringe a bit for but there you go. Uh, they played a back five kinda like Motherwell, so I couldn't beat them. Uh, so maybe me McInnes have that in common. <laughs> <laughs> well we asked them um, we asked some of the the, the, the 
guys on the Twitter feed to give us their experience of the game. We're, I'll go around uh, around all of you as well and ask for some of your experience in the game. I'm going to read out some of the tweets first. Um, obviously, the first one that comes up um, is uh, Kevin Smith, the Northern Light. Um, assigned Tonton Zola Makuku for the Dons, played him as the one in a 3-4-1-2 and sold him to Milan for about £30 million. Everybody has that story. Um, I think everybody everybody signed Tonto Zola Makuku for the for this one time we'll say FM legend that he is. Um, Jamie Simpson, Andrew Bagshaw would regularly score forty plus goals for his all conquering Don side, thriving under Freddie Adu's supply and David Beckham's coaching. Now, I'm thinking Andrew Bagshaw and Freddie Adu just um, another two two more just football manager, manager legendary names. Uh, next one we had was um, so someone sent us in a screenshot um, saying winning the treble in his first season and beating Real Madrid 2-1 in the group stages uh, next season. Um, and he, he, he showed us a screenshot and um, James Rodriguez scored for Real Madrid. Um, Matt Ritchie and Ryan Hardy got goals for Aberdeen. But most shockingly, Graham Shinney managed to get booked in there early in the game, which was quite surprising. So it just shows how realistic football manager actually is. Um, Richard. Um, I know you are a crack football manager ex- expert, so tell me your tale. Oh, uh, well, let's talk about the history with the game, and I go right back to, well, Championship Manager Italia, actually, which predates Championship Manager 97-98. Um, before I even had a PC sort of laptop in order to play the game at home, one of my mates had and had the game... And it was such a huge leap forward in immersion, I guess, from all the football management sims that had come before. Because I'm, again, of an age that remembers those Commodore 64 days of playing the original football manager, um, uh, Kevin Toms, I think it was, who who famously wrote it. Um, And, you know, it was so next level to play championship manager as it was back then. Uh, 97-98, I think there there were definitely years when I bought or upgraded a PC purely in order to play the latest <laughs> version of the game. And um, if I were to put into context the number of hours that I have wasted, and I say wasted loosely, obviously, uh, on this series of games, I, I think you're probably looking at a, a good solid 5-6% of my life, which is, um, <laughs> I, I look back now and weep a little, but equally, you know, it was fun at the time. In terms of particular memories, um, well, I'm I'm still currently fighting this addiction. I have to be honest, and I, I I've got to put an FM17 save, which I'm currently twirling through. I think I'm about 30 years in. I'm playing at the McLeish Stadium, so I'm not quite at the stage where I've got a stadium named after me yet, which is a bit of a disappointment. But uh, 58,000 capacity, and we've won the league about 20 years in a row, so it, things are looking good. Things are looking good. Maybe. With God's help, one day I'll kick this horrible addiction. Feels like a sort of therapy session. I think that's what this has to be now, to be honest. A kind of good therapy session. When you go through some of the tweets, I think that's what it has to be. I mean, um, Craig Coyle sent us in saying... um, 15 titles in six Champions Leagues in a row in football manager 16 um, he, got the, he got a new ground named after him and he said he said not like Spurs where after four titles and cups big cups in a row they named it after Steve Perryman um, which is uh, strange um, Z- Zick as ZIK said he's halfway through his mission to get Aberdeen to 1 billion balance in football manager 17 um, he's in 2030 now with the Champions League and two Europas um, and his rules are he doesn't sign anyone over 21 and he won't buy anything, anyone for more than 10 million which you know one of those rules still apply for Aberdeen we're never going to we don't buy anybody for over 10 million either so um, again just like real life uh, JJ uh, what's your history with Football Manager? Oh, oh mate I've been playing vid, like, video games and particularly football video games since I was you know very very like I mean tiny Um I was like you, I was, um, I played, not even Championship Manager, I played this sort of spreadsheet based game on a computer that took an hour to turn on. <laughs> so you'd push it and then it would, you'd come back and my mum would load it and I'd go and play it. Uh, anyway, so I played Football Manager a lot. Um, I probably spent a similar amount of time in my life playing it. Um, and it's fucking ace. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my, like, I spent a lot of my, actually I shouldn't say this because I don't think anyone knows my work. I spent a lot of day, a lot of my work day 
talking to one of my close friends about you know potential formations, players, how this guy works, how this guy works. Um, I get to work with them a little bit now, which is really fun as well. Like the actual the actual game guys, it's, it's really fun. Um, but my last save was uh, Aberdeen. I won the you know, Europa League, and it was probably one of my proudest moments in uh, FM14. I've just finished my FM17 game, and I've still to properly play FM18 because I know what will happen, and I have so much to do. <laughs> Yeah. We've got a couple of more of the tweets as well. Uh, John Bleasdale sent in the classic. Of course, he you bought Mark Kerr from Falkirk in CMO one hundred two, sold him to Man U, Man U for seven million, having ha- him having helped with three titles, two Scottish Cups, and a UEFA Cup. But then, of course, he adds John adds does that at the end, which none of us like to do to talk about, is that he was also sacked because he put in an ultimatum for an increased stadium, um, which you know we don't like. None of us like to talk about the times we've been sacked in Football Manager. Why are they selling these players? I never sell them. I like if they want to go, then they and they refuse to play. They go in the reserves. They don't go anywhere. There's no way. <laughs> yeah, the, the worst they, thing, right? You bring someone through from the reserves or like a youth player, and you bring them through, and I mean it's a good like probably a week of your life you spend nurturing them from seventeen <laughs> to in place, right? And they get in the gate and they get in the first team and they play. And you know they're going to be amazing. And then they start throwing toys out of the pram. You're like, what are you doing to me? And you really feel like it's a real person. The betrayal. There's no greater betrayal than, than that. You know. Jack Stevens, American Legion. <laughs> see you in real life. Uh, yeah, there was no there was no greater thrill in football manager than having a real top class VGN come through your youth scissor. It's just oh. you, uh, basically I'm now at the point in that last game where I'm going to win the league each year, but by the time March comes around, which is when the VGNs come, that's my highlight of the year. Just hoping yeah. beyond hope that there's going to be a top class VGN. Uh, so mm, I can I can relate. This is useful, yeah. guys. This is saving me hundreds of pounds in therapy fees. Yeah, the um the reg the regens are the fun for me as well. I mean, um, I um one of my classics was I played a game as new plays as Newcastle and I signed a, a Ghanaian regen and your brother will be able to tell you about this one, Richard as well. His name was Rufin Biagne Akakuami, um, and we still remember. And this was when we were sixteen, so this was twenty years ago, and we still talk about this guy because in in hindsight he was absolutely shite, but. He had a funny name and we signed him and I played him alongside up front alongside Alan Shearer and he still somehow managed to score like 15 goals but he was pretty shite but it was just, he has a funny name, let's sign him and he's a regen. Do you also have the same problem where you play the game so much that you start to confuse it with real life? <laughs> a few weeks have been like that. It's like, what are we doing in seconds? We should be, should be top. I, 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 do of, I do a lot of live blogging and sometimes I'm like, why is Kyle Walker at Man City? <laughs> I'm not joking. No, um, I, I think the one, you also do get attached to players in real life because you've signed them on Football Manager. Ibrahim Bakayoko was one who uh, yeah. followed his career religiously. Back in the day before, I suppose, there was quite this uh, blanket coverage of foreign leagues. Football Manager was also an insight into that, into the, the you know the, the stars from abroad. So it made you sound a bit knowledgeable, thinking, oh yeah, he, he, this guy Bakayoko, he's going to be the next big star. Of course, he did bugger all when he moved to Everton in real life. Uh, was released after about 10 games, I think. But there's uh, a little bit of that magic gone now because everybody knows everything. You can just go on the internet and find a system that works and plug it in and you get a list of the wonder kids and so on. Yeah. No, you still got to you still got to put them into a team, and you can still make your own tactics up to suit with the players. Of course, you can absolutely. But the thing is, as well, like I mean, real life clubs use that scouting network now. Mm-hmm. It's not just a game; it's actually used. I mean, you can tell the the clubs who've been ahead of the curve. Everton, I think, I'm pretty sure, are one of them. They never actually, you know, officially say who is it. I'm pretty sure Bournemouth um, have been up in their their, their their scouting network. But it's so, it's so huge and a huge resource. I can't believe more people didn't do it sooner. You talk about you talk about guys who you kind of fall in love with in real life as well because of it, Richard. For me, um, it was uh, the Colombian Freddie Garin, mm. um, who was a who was a stalwart of my two thousand and six game, um, but unfortunately in real life it turned out to be pretty shite. Yeah, that was um, the year before he moved to Italy. You could pick him up for like fifty grand from a Colombian team, I recall. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and he was he was he was an absolute legend for me. But um, yeah, other than that, he was pretty pretty shite. Um, unfortunately, Lizarazu yeah. for two point five million every time. 
Uh, we could right. We could we could continue this for a very long time. I think we'll 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 wrap it up with a couple of the t- a couple of the final tweets. Um, we had um, Clark Gillis won the UEFA Cups in his second season in the 2002 version, and all he did was make David Priest number one. Um, got a kid on loan from Liverpool, spent 50 grand on a striker from Cyprus and a Ukrainian winger and a free transfer. Can't argue with management skills like that. Um, and then the final one. Uh, from Duncan Rothney, before they joined Rangers FC deceased, he always signed Sumo Boyd and Naismith from Kelly. Got them for next to nothing and good for 60 plus goals a season between them. And he won the league seven years on the bounce and the Champions League twice with them. Uh, more power to your elbow, Duncan. Now we'll, um, that'll wrap up, that wraps up our, um, our fantasy football chat, our football manager chat even. Uh, we've got a game to talk about as well though. Uh, we have Kilmarnock away. Just coming up in a few days' time. Um, what has in the in recent history not been too tricky a test for us? Uh, we've got a very good record against them, um, and they seem to have appointed a manager that isn't a complete buffoon. Um, and they've had some decent results: draws at Ibrox and Parkhead, a less impressive away win against Hearts. Um, but but Kilmarnock seem to be sort of heading in the right direction, Richard. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of obviously positive press about Steve Clark. Um, the two results that you spoke about against uh, Ibrox and at Parkhead are obviously going to attract the headlines. But, you know, after that, then they fail to win at uh, bottom of the league Dundee. They get scudded at home by Hibs. It's still very much a winnable tie. But, yeah, they've got a guy in charge now who who is <clears throat> a very well-regarded coach, uh, and should be able to set them up in a very efficient manner. But that said, against Lee McCulloch's team at the start of the season, we, we struggled quite a bit uh, then as well. Um, uh, I, it's, I think right now, with the way we're playing, you kind of almost worry about every game, don't you, really? Um, Kilmarnock's specific threats, obviously, they still have Chris Boyd up front. I'm sure he'll get a fantastic reception from the travelling support. Uh, but Jordan Jones is a guy I really, really like the look of. Um, a really positive, fast, tricky young winger who um, I would hope is maybe on our radar. Yeah, he's looked very impressive any time I've seen him, Jordan Jones. Uh, you know, he even made his uh, Northern Ireland debut the other week, was it? Yeah. Um, so, I th- yeah, I think uh, it's going to be tougher than it has been in recent years. But we can still come away from Kilmarnock with a, a win. They've still not looked too convincing at home. Uh, all, the, all those good results for Steve Clark's team have come away from home, haven't they? As far as I can tell. Um, <clears throat> yeah, they have then, had four away games well, of the five he's played. Yeah. Yeah, and then got destroyed by Hibs at home. So, yeah, I don't know. Definitely a winnable game. Uh, Richard mentioned Chris Boyd there. Uh, there's obviously been some high-profile comments from Mr. Boyd about uh, some of our players, Graham Shinney in particular, uh, JJ. Um, we spoke earlier on about how, how speculation and comments might have effect on players, etc. Uh, our Aberde- Aberdeen don't really have to prove a point there. We've got the record against Kilmarnock that should show that we're a, 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 better, a superior team to them. I mean, the new manager bounce that has been semi-successful so far will only take them to a certain extent, won't it? Yeah, of course. I mean, it'll take Clark a bit of time to put what he wants into the team. You, you can't... The new manager bounces everyone's just excited trying to make sure they keep their, their place, I guess. I don't know really what it, it is behind it. Um, he's going to take a while to get his stuff sorted. Their games, they've been best, as far as I can tell, they've been very, very defensive like that draw against Celtics, very, very, um, they were, you know, they put everyone behind the ball and just a low defensive block and just managed to get lucky. Um, and I say that, and it, you know, they still got a point. It's not luck entirely, but you still need that um, the rub of the bounce <laughs> for it to go, <laughs> to go for you. Uh, I think if we, I can imagine they'll go and having to go into this game with a rocket up their arse after that Motherwell performance. Um, they certainly should, anyway. And if, I mean, we kind of make sure that the prep for whatever this is here, I'd imagine Kamarnik will go for a very defensive game, trying to hit on the counter-attack again. So I'd imagine that he's going to try and find some way to to get around that. And I also think we're going to win. It's going to be good. Well, certainly, well, certainly hope so. I mean, Finlay, what JJ mentioned there is well, they've, 
their their stronger performances have came when they've been more de- more defensive. Um, it does seem that no, the the limited parts of Kilmarnock that I've seen so far this season and in the last few games is they're struggling to create, which was of course our problem against Motherwell. So um, I'm praying that it's not going to be a nil nil bore draw, but. The, the team are going to ha- the players are surely will have a rocket up their arse. I mean, Shinny will surely be back in the squad. So, I would you would hope Shinny will start, and obviously he'll have a point to prove against Chris Boyd. Hopefully, that's not uh, like him trying to emulate Christie and do all these sort of flicks and tricks and stuff. But I think the onus will be on us to create chances, which I mean, it, it can go one of two ways, can't it? That's kind of the the problem. We still don't we still don't know our best team, and neither is Derek McKinnis. Uh, it depend, just depends how, how we set up and how they set up. But I, th- I think they'll be defensively responsible, Kilmarnock. I think it would be silly to, to predict they'd be anything other than that. Well, I think that will actually help us if, if they are set up to be a safety-first approach because I think, unquestionably, if you try and attack us this season, you're going to get some joy. Um we just haven't looked secure at the back. <laughs> we, yeah, we're not really functioning going forward either. And we've still got, you know, what is it, 25 points out of 36 or something. I'm not sure. Um, so, yeah, all this moaning and whinging. And, you know, things maybe aren't that bleak. But it was it was a real, a real flat display on Saturday. And it definitely left a lot more questions than, than answers uh, so far this season. I do think it's important what you've said there, Richard. I think it's important to remember that we started off with a very good run, um, while not playing you know, the most scintillating football that we've ever seen under Derek McInnes. Um, and it would be, it would be, I think it would be fair to say that the last couple of results, well, you know, not being good, it's you know, teams like Aberdeen. You know, we have no right to be beating every single team that we come up against. Um, you know, discounting, unfortunately, discounting Celtic, who seem to be. Um, Head and shoulders above the rest of us all, um, but I mean it's important to just after a couple of poor, poor results just to kind of get put that behind us. And you know, when you've got when you've got a record like we do have against Kilmarnock, where McInnes, I don't think McInnes has lost a game to Kilmarnock since he's been Aberdeen manager. It's um, this is the perfect opportunity to put to get right back on the tracks. It's a, it's an opponent who we we've had the measure of in recent years it's a, okay it's a plastic pitch but one that seems to suit us a lot more than the one at Hamilton uh, I think the Sunday lunchtime kickoff is uh, going to make it another pretty flat atmosphere though and um, you know maybe maybe being away from home, away from a more demanding home support that might be a good thing but I just want to see, as JJ says, they'll have hopefully had a proper going over by enclosed doors, uh, both after the match on Saturday and today. And I really want to see a positive reaction. I think that that's key. Um, because between now and the winter break, I think we've got 10 games. And really our season's going to be defined as far as that goes. I think the league is gone. I think everyone realistically knows that. However... We want to reassert ourselves as the second club in the country. And I think with the turmoil going on at Ibrox and the fact that Hibs are, frankly, all, uh, all for a coat and nay knickers, then we've really got an opportunity to, to do that over the next couple of months. And one final thing before we go, um, as we record this on a Monday evening, the cup draw was this afternoon. Um, We've drawn a home tie against St Mirren. Um, I think we've we've made our position clear on this podcast that we prefer to have um, the possi- the lowest possible ranked team um, at Pataudry. We didn't quite get that today, um, but um, no complaints, guys, with St Mirren. We'll win. Yeah, we'll win. We'll win that tie. On the lines. I think there might be the situation where, where, where St Mirren, as laughable as this sounds, might actually rest a few players because they're obviously going to be going for the league. So um, it might play into our hands. I think the only concern is it's the first game back after the Premier League break where St Mirren will have played right through, um, which which could work in our favour or could work against us. I certainly hope they don't rest um, rest some players, um, although it may mean that they're their second choice goalie might get a game against us, so um, there's a positive right there. Be lovely, wouldn't it? He gets um, well. He can be he can be applauded onto the pitch <laughs> for the first time. <laughs> and with that, that brings our podcast to a close for this evening. I want to thank our, our guest for this evening. First, I want to thank JJ Bull. Thanks very much for coming back on, JJ. 
Thank you for having me. No, no problem at all. I want to thank Finlay Mayor. Thank you very much, Finlay. It's been a pleasure. Absolute pleasure for me as well. And finally, Richard, always a pleasure speaking to you. Uh, yes, if only I can say likewise. Thank you very much. Uh, I've been Martin Clunas. It's been a pleasure as always. Um, if you haven't checked out our recent podcast, we released our interview with John McMaster. We've pimped it enough on social media. We're going to do it one more time on this podcast. Please do check it out. It is a fantastic interview. Um, all that remains for me to be said is come on you Reds and we'll speak to you next week. Bye.